As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome back to Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. We're in the full swing of basketball season. This is Andy Bitter. I'm the Virginia Tech football beat writer here at the Athletic, but I also do a podcast for the ACC. and We're in, in basketball season all the way. Coming down the final stretch here, only a couple weeks left before we get to what we hope will be a full ACC tournament, what we hope will be a full NCAA tournament after that. Uh, we've got a great lineup of people coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, starting today, uh, Eamon Brennan, staff writer in our college football vertical, is joining us. Uh, he's here with Brendan Marks, as usual, my co-host. Uh, a three-man weave on the pod with this week. We tried it a couple weeks ago with Matthew Gutierrez. I thought it worked well. Uh, I think it'll work well this time. Welcome, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. E, I'm, I'm glad to uh, see your smiling face. I believe it has been since uh, a crowded late night in Greensboro last March was the last time I, I may have seen you. Yeah, it was definitely um, being out at a uh, at the bar, um, feeling incredibly nervous, and having my wife telling me to go home because I was going to get sick. That was a fun time. Yeah, and then of course the next day the tournament stopped. So, yeah, that's it's been that long for sure. But good to be here. Um, thanks for having me. Excited to chat some hoops. Going to bars; those were the days. Yeah, I missed those. <laughs> it felt, to, to be fair, to be to be fair, at that that time I was like, I'm going to do this because. This is a night away, like from my uh, intense family, like kids at home and everything already was like happening and like, screw it. I'm, I'm going to go out, you know, everything's fine. And then even that night it was like, I, this is a bad idea. Why am I doing <laughs> this? Felt, like we should not be out in public right now. It, it felt bad because you, I mean, that was the night that I think all of the Rudy Gobert suspension stuff had happened as well. And yeah. so it was, I mean, we felt like we, it was, I mean, at least I did. I felt like it was just sort of a matter of time until everything got called and pushed. And it was like, uh, you know, Hey, I, who knows when this will happen again. So, yeah. Well, hopefully we have a much smoother postseason <laughs> to the ACC and to the college basketball season. Uh, starting today's show, I just want to get off to the big game. I mean, th- there's no reason to beat around the bush on this. Uh, number nine, Virginia playing at number 17, Florida State tonight. 
this kind of feels like it's it. It's now or never for the rest of the ACC to catch Virginia. Uh, for if Virginia is what are they in the conference right now? I wrote this down: eleven and one, Florida State seven and two. Then everybody else has at least three losses in the conference. Uh, this kind of feels like it's it. Can can anybody catch Virginia? Florida State, uh, pretty good home team. Virginia, pretty good everywhere it goes. Uh, I'll just get your guys' initial thoughts on this matchup. Go ahead, E. You're a, you're a resident Virginia expert. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we both queued up there. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, look, I think I've been really impressed with Florida State when they've been able to stay on the court. It's just the difficulty with them right now is they're just back. Like they looked good the other night, but not overwhelmingly good. Whereas I think Virginia is now, you know, I mean, Florida State coming back. If you saw the highlight, you probably saw Scotty Barnes looking awesome, but they needed OT to beat Wake Forest in their own building. Um, coming back off another uh, pretty extended pause for, for COVID related um, precautions. Whereas UVA is chugging along right now. Um, that Carolina game on Saturday was ugly. And I think mostly because of Carolina, like if you can't shoot against Virginia, you're just going to have a really, really hard time. And Carolina just cannot shoot the ball. Um, you know, I think what Kerwin Walton's like their one guy who can shoot. And if they can't, you know, they can't get him open looks, then no threes are going to fall. Basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, that that was an ugly game, but like that is Virginia's bread and butter. Like they're good offensively this year, but they've gradually ramped up the D. Um, you know, early in the year they made a few tweaks, uh, which Tony Bennett normally doesn't do, but he did do this year because Jay Huff's a little bit different from their typical centers. Um, you know, the Isaiah Wilkins type guys of the past, him and Sam Hauser down there are different. They're stretch players on the offensive end and they don't dominate the low block. Um, on the defensive end. So they switched it up and now it's kind of at equilibrium. Like there's, you know, the improvements that they sought to get on offense by bringing in Hauser and playing Huff more minutes and all these new offensive weapons, Trey Murphy that they have um, are rolling more or less on the offensive end. And defensively, they're about, you know, they're not as good as they were last year when they were really good defensively um, and couldn't score it to save their life. But they're, they're not far off, and that's kind of the you know the Virginia being really good formula. I think because they've been so steady, both staying on the floor and playing, and also um, gradually improving both ends, they are going to suffocate a lot of games like they did Carolina. And and I think it's it seems facile to say, but it's absolutely their league to win. And I think even if Florida State gets them, I still think Virginia probably ends up winning the league anyway. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you bring up a good point, too, about Florida State and that weight game over the weekend. I watched a little bit of that, and just the, the, the fact that we have now seen this from several different programs, you know, Clemson comes back, has their uh, COVID-19 issues. When, when the Tigers came back, lose four out of five, and it took Clemson a while to get things back and rolling again. Obviously, there are a number of programs that are currently on pause. Um, so for Florida State, yeah, I, I think that, you know, to some extent, the Seminoles are going into this one a little bit undermanned you know you, you talk about needing overtime against uh wake forest wake forest is not a good basketball team uh, no. <laughs> they're i love steve forbes but they're not there yet and I, I think not just the fact that they needed overtime i mean it, it was a stretch they even got to overtime that scotty barnes runner you know him getting that reverse layup with what under a second left i mean it shouldn't take that to beat virginia so i, I really do think that when we're talking about this it's not it's not the matchup that I think this could have been. We're both programs, you know, really having figured things out. They're both rolling, having won a couple of games in a row. Um, I think Virginia has the clear advantage in this one, even with it being on the road. However, I will say, I, I think that for as good as 
Huff and Hauser have been, and and as much as they were able to completely shut UNC down, you know, UNC's bigs had a, a god awful day, and it's crazy. That's the seventh time in a row UVA has beaten North Carolina. Even going back to UNC's championship seasons, UVA was still beating North Carolina. Um, that streak started when I was in college, so I know that it's getting to be a couple of years now. But the fact that I think Florida State presents some really interesting matchups. When you talk about a guy like Raekwon Gray, he's had six consecutive double-digit scoring games. Anthony Polite can hit shots. Um, you know, they have guys that I, I think complement their offense a little bit better than UNC does in terms of shooters. So um, I, I think it'll be a really interesting game. I, I do think that there's a chance that Virginia still wins the conference, even if they lose. I, I just think that their outlook the rest of the season is probably better than Florida State's, especially if you consider... Florida State's still coming off this pause. I think it's going to take them a little bit of time to get back to full strength. You mentioned UVA's defense. There's some stats on that UNC game that people have been tweeting out that I thought were fascinating. Uh, you mentioned the seven straight wins against UNC. That hasn't happened since NC State beat UNC eight straight times from 1972 to 75. Uh, David Thompson uh, had something to say about that during that era. Nobody scored in double figures for UNC in that game. Which I saw this. I believe that the UNC Sports Information Director tweeted out, "It hasn't happened since the 1966 ACC tournament, a 21 to 20 loss to Duke, which uh, feels like a different era of basketball. But I guess when you watch Virginia, maybe not too different with how they play. Uh, you, know, you know, Virginia. You talk about their defense. It, it seems like it's rounding into form. I mean, they held you know, Georgia Tech to 49 last week, UNC to 48." Uh, Maybe not the the offensive firepower that we're, uh, Virginia might have had in, in some of these other seasons, certainly their national championship season. But uh, I mean that plays. I mean that plays everywhere. You you look at uh, you know I saw this other stat out there: Tony Bennett, ten straight ACC winning seasons. The other coaches to do that are Dean Smith and Coach K. Uh, that's pretty elite company there. Uh, these, decent group to be mentioned with. Yeah, yeah. it, it just seems like, uh, you know, Virginia is just sort of a recession-proof program right now. Just the system is set up that they will be successful. And I, I'm curious in this matchup because it's such a contrast of styles. Uh, do you feel like this is going to be a slow game, that this is going to sort of bend to the will of, of Virginia's uh, pace here and, and things will be low scoring? Not necessarily. I mean, yes, probably. They, they are the slowest team in the country by adjusted tempo and that's all intentional it's been you know that's been the consistent part of of tony bennett's system um that and pack line defense for you know over a decade now i think offensively um the thing that's interesting about virginia this year is they have switched things up a lot um the you know two years ago when they won the national title they put in an offense, you know, after basically nine, eight, nine years of running mover blocker, which is Dick Bennett's old offense from UNC Green Bay that Tony Bennett inherited. It's very old school. It's just run guys around a bunch of screens in perpetuity and, and playoff reads and is, it was pretty stayed and you saw it in the, in the UMBC game. So the next season he takes in, uh, you know, an, an offense, a lot of sort of um, ball screen principles they call it flow but it's, it's nothing unusual it just adapted to that talent really really well and he's done that this year too with five out offense um, adapting parts of an offense from a d3 school in Maine um, that's a little bit cutting edge and you'll start to see I think more and more NBA teams play with because it's no ball screens and everybody stays space and you play a lot of one-on-one and it, if you have good players it's, it's, it's really effective Um so they've they've changed a lot on offense, and in fact, in a lot of ways, I think the offense got there sooner this year than the defense did. 
Um, they've been humming along at a pretty low ebb defensively. Um, trying to think, I think, figure things out with Jay Huff as an, you know, sort of the interior stopper. Sam Hauser, with all due respect, he's worked really hard on that end of the floor, but at Marquette, he was an atrocious defender and he's just an okay one now. Um, so they do give up a little bit on the defensive end this year to be able to have five shooters on the floor at every, t- at, you know, at all times, five guys who can hit the three. Jay Huff predominantly offensively plays out at the three point line. And so they're, they are what they usually are, but there are wrinkles now every year or almost every year that that Tony Bennett's putting in to adapt to his personnel that I think are really interesting and that because they play slow and because their pack line defense is is such a, a staple of the program doesn't always get noticed as much um, when you're talking about them. But they're, if you actually dig into to their footage this year, they're pretty fascinating to watch in ways that you would not have associated with last year's team, especially or even you know two years ago when they were really good. Yeah, I, I think that the Jay Huff you know, breakout season is something that I, I didn't necessarily envision coming. And, and obviously, um, those offensive changes you mentioned, even obviously allow him to have a lot more freedom than he would have otherwise. But did, I, I don't know about you, but I never figured Jay Huff to be a guy with this sort of efficiency and, and doing being so efficient in in accordance with the ways that he's being asked to operate offensively. Like, I did not ever envision him becoming this high percentage of a shooter. I did not imagine him being so versatile on offense. I mean, going back and watching that UNC game, um, his ability to be, you know, you talk about Hauser being just an okay defender, his ability to cover for him, his ability to still win extra possessions for them to tip out, you know, offensive rebounds, create extra shots. Um, I am so just blown away by his progress. And I'm just curious if you, as someone who has watched a little more closely over the past few years, did you see this coming from him? Did you think that he was capable of carrying the sort of load that he is right now, especially on the offensive side. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Maybe not this much of a load, but I mean, I think for, for Virginia fans, Jay Huff has always been sort of this like, beautiful little child that they've been waiting to see blossom in this way. Um, he has been, you know, I mean, going back to, again, the national title season, it was a, a going concern among UVA fans for an extended part of that season. Why is Kihei Clark playing? Jay Huff should be playing instead. And, it, you know, Kihei Clark was a freshman. He was not offering a whole lot on offense. Occasionally we would make the open three, but that was about it. He was there for his perimeter defense. And, and again, going back to the UMBC game, giving that group of players someone who can go harass the ball out top which they did not have and was ended up being a disaster for them. Um, but efficiency-wise, number wise, numbers-wise, Virginia fans were sitting there looking at it being like, look at this seven-footer who can shoot threes that we have who's playing like 10 minutes a game. What's up with this? And even last season, you know, you had Braxton Key, you had Mamadi Diakite. Jay Huff played a lot more, but he wasn't – you know, play, he wasn't a starter playing these kinds of minutes. So um, he really came along, I think, last season especially. That was a really good bridge year for him um, to not have to carry the load uh, on either end of the floor, but to kind of figure things out. And defensively, he really figured it out last year. That was always the thing with Huff. That's why he didn't get minutes on the floor. Tony Bennett was pretty straight up about it. He fouled way too often. He didn't defend well enough on the interior. 
last year he started doing, I think he had 10 blocks against Duke in one of the last games of the regular season. Um, he really figured that that stuff out. And then this year he's layered on top of that an ability to stay on the floor defensively, not foul with playing outside in all the time. And it turns out that all the flashes that Virginia fans saw us when he was a freshman and a sophomore um, are totally a real thing and something he's actualized into being a star player. But you're right. Even versatility. I mean, he made a back cut against UNC the other night. It was just like, that's a seven foot guy making a good back cut against like Garrison Brooks. You don't see it very often. He's just, he's really, really good, man. And it's taken him a little while to get there, but that's sort of Virginia's MO. Well, it should be a fascinating game. Uh, Florida State has won 23 straight ACC home games. Uh, second longest streak in conference history behind Duke from 1997 to 2026 game streak. Uh, this is what you want. This is the kind of game you want. The the top team in the league going down to play to place uh, against a team that doesn't lose at home very often. Let's hope that nothing happens before this game. Last time we talked about a Monday game, it got postponed <laughs> two hours beforehand. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, we seem to have that uh, habit on this podcast of recording it, and then news breaks right after. Thank you to Clemson and Notre Dame for announcing their postponement before the before the podcast today. Uh, that's a really interesting game because it feels like the rest of the league is sort of in suspended animation right now. Virginia Tech uh, will have three straight postponements. Uh, miss the Florida State-Louisville uh, games and, and another one. Uh, you know, they have their own COVID shutdown right now. It was the other teams before. Louisville has had three straight postponements. Uh, these are two teams near the top of the, the conference here, and they're just not going to get a lot of conference games because of that. Uh, but there are some interesting games this week, and I want to ask you guys who you think has the big week of the these three teams here. Louisville plays against Syracuse and at UNC. Syracuse plays at Louisville and versus Notre Dame, and UNC plays Louisville on Saturday. Uh, of those three, who who needs to, to prove something this week, do you think? And uh, Brendan, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, you know, I say North Carolina, and this is not just my, you know, because it's my beat, but I, I really do think that North Carolina is very much, you know, the epitome of a bubble team this year. Like, they are as on the bubble as you can be, you know. They go out and, and against some of these, you know, bottom-of-the-barrel ACC teams, they're able to dominate inside. No one has the size to compete with them, really. Um, and, and as Eamon mentioned earlier, if Kerwin Walton and Caleb Love could knock down a couple of shots, then the offense sort of, you know, goes as planned. And to date, that's that's been good enough. However, at the same time, you look and you're talking about a team that against Virginia, not not only was that a loss, but that, that was not a loss where UNC played particularly well. You know, 21 to four is is a bad place to be. Um, and, you know, I don't think at any point in the second half, I really felt like UNC had any semblance of making a comeback. I, I think that um, when you look at North Carolina, a win against Louisville on Saturday, that's that's arguably as good a win as this team would have all season long. And Yes, Louisville's coming off a couple of pauses, but but you have to take these sorts of games when you can get them. So to me, North Carolina, it's not that this is a must-win game. I think there's still a path to the NCAA tournament, um, even if UNC were to lose on Saturday against Louisville. But I, I think that, that that win would really put UNC in a much more comfortable category than it is right now. Um, the Virginia loss, I think, was expected, but, but being able to beat Louisville, um, even with the, the Cardinal coming ha off of a COVID pause, I just think that that's the sort of feather in UNC's resume that it needs right now and that it is sort of currently lacking. Even any of those teams intrigue you this week? Yeah, I mean, Carolina, he's, you know, Brendan's right about being on the bubble. They are smack on the bubble and, um, you know, I think need to 
are they going to end up being like a six or seven seed? No, probably not. But they can shore things up a little bit by beating the the Louisvilles and Syracuses of the world. I mean, I think speaking of Louisville and Syracuse, Louisville is a team that I just don't. Maybe it's just a blind spot for me, but I feel like there's teams every year covering the sport nationally where you're just like, I've maybe seen this team play like once or twice, and I haven't taken that hour or two to like dig into them on synergy or anything. Louisville is definitely that team for me right now. <laughs> um, I'm like part of it's cause they've been paused part of it's cause they've just been sort of okay all season. Um, but I do think their, you know, their resume is like, they haven't beaten a quadrant one opponent. They've played three, lost three. They are seven and zero against quadrant two. Um, so like, this is a solid team that it can beat other solid teams, but has not done anything to make me think that, um, any sort of tournament run is impending. So yeah, I think, you know, Syracuse Carolina in one week with the latter being a road trip, like these aren't um, going to be mind blowing results one way or the other, but they are going to give you a little bit more of a hint as to where Louisville um, is maybe going to, going to end up this season. Cause you see some potential there and some numbers there that are interesting, but they've just been kind of milk toast for me all year. All right, it's not often we have two basketball experts on this pod. Usually it's one, and then I'm just kind of like hanging on for dear life here. So I'm going to take advantage of the fact that we have two basketball experts. We're going to call this segment Ask the Experts. Uh, we'll start it off with this one. Eben, I'll go to you first. How many ACC teams are going to make the NCAA tournament this year? Okay, well, I'm working on Bubble Watch as we speak, so let me pull it up really quickly. It's um, a little plug for the uh, the athletic there. Yeah, so I mean, I think Carolina will get in, and I think that will be one, two, three, four, five, six. Six, I think get six in. teams. Yeah, I mean, I've got Louisville in as of right now, but again, they, they've got to figure. You know, there's just not a whole lot there. Like, if the season ended right now, they'd be fine. But again, I don't know how good Louisville actually is. We'll see. Um, yeah, you know, Virginia, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Clemson looking like they'll be okay now. Um, they were flirting with bubble territory for a while. And then, you know, the teams that that are like Syracuse is the one team, I think, right now that isn't in the field that could get there. Other than that, you're looking at like Duke and Duke is just not not in the tournament picture at the at this particular moment. But Maybe Duke just beat there. NC State. What are you talking about? They clobbered <sighs> NC State. Duke's back. Right? I, I hope for both your sakes, neither of you watched that game. <laughs> I hope I for did your, watch that game. Andy, you, you need to take care of your mental health better than that. Because that if I was not there for that game, there's no way I was wasting my time. NC, NC State played about as bad a basketball game on Saturday as I've seen in person all year. I think it was actually the worst performance in person that I've seen from a team so far this season. So yeah. Eamon has UNC and Brendan, do you think UNC will make it? I, I guess that's sort of the question here that team number six doesn't make it. I do. And I, you know, and the thing that I hate is uh, I thought that at the beginning of the season, Georgia Tech would be able to make a stronger case for potentially making it into the tournament. Um, I love Jose Alvarado. He's so much fun to watch. But yeah, I, I think North Carolina will end up getting in. And the reason I say that is just because if you look at UNC's schedule over the back half of the year, um, we already talked about playing Louisville at home on Saturday, um, still have games against Florida state, Syracuse, Duke. I, I think that there are opportunities for UNC to, um, you know, h- highlight some bullet points on their resume, if you will. I think there's winnable games against solid to good teams. And, you know, it, for example, if UNC is able to beat Florida state, you know, later, later on this month. Um, I, I think that that is like sort of the tipping point. Like if you can have a win of that caliber uh, for this program that currently doesn't really have that, 
yeah, I, I think that's probably enough to get you into the field. And and also, I'll say this: um, Syracuse to me, I, I, I the, if Eamon, if Louisville is your blind spot, it's Syracuse for me because I <laughs> I go and I watch I watch their offense, and I'm like Joe Girard, what happened to you? What happened, Eman? Um, Joe Girard looks like he did what I did over the summer, which was drink far too many beers and get far too little exercise. Uh, so <laughs> I, I like Louisville's pieces a lot more on paper than I do, or Syracuse's, excuse me. I like Syracuse's pieces a lot more on paper than I do in person. Um, but yeah, I, I think I will agree. I'll say six teams right now. And I think that's probably contingent though on North Carolina having a good end of the season this last, this last month here. Hey, let's not knock that too little, too many beers, too little exercise lifestyle. <laughs> that's one that still, many I'm of just... us adopt. <laughs> I'm just now digging my way out of that. The past like month and a half, I, you know, the 2020 was not good for the old physical health. So we're, we're just getting back on board, working out and eating halfway decently now. I think we're all trying to do that. All right. Second question. This one might be a little bit more interesting. Uh, They did the early bracket reveal, the NCAA, just sort of the, the seeds. UVA was the only ACC team in the top four seeds. They had them on the three line. Uh, over under ACC teams that will make it to the Sweet 16 this year. I'm going to put it at one and a half. Uh, Brendan, I'll start with you on this one. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the over here um, because I think you know I, I I definitely believe in Virginia. I think that you know barring some sort of catastrophic meltdown, I, I feel pretty comfortable about the Cavaliers' top 15 offense and defense. Um, but I, I really like Virginia Tech, and I think that Virginia Tech, you know, assuming that this COVID pause comes back and they're able to sort of shake out some of the kinks the last few games, get things going, a la what Clemson has done of late. Um, I, I think that Virginia Tech can po- pose some problems for people, just the way they play. Um, if Jalen Cohn is back healthy, you know, he is so difficult, so shifty to defend on the perimeter. Keve Aluma, before Virginia Tech went down for a pause, I mean, he was playing as well as any big man in the ACC. So... I, I like Virginia Tech. Obviously, Florida State can be an interesting team. I mean, you know, I, I think North Carolina, just because of the way they play, you know, there are a few teams that can really match up with them well, size for size. Like, if UNC gets a favorable bracket slot, like, is it possible they make the Sweet 16? Yeah, I think so. So I'm going to go with the over there. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, putting a lot of faith in the Virginia Techs and the North Carolinas of the world, which is never the best idea. But uh, I, I, I'm too much of an ACC homer to think there's only going to be one you know, ACC team in the Sweet 16. That was an incredible ACC homer answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed by that. Eben, what yeah. do you think? I think Carolina's got uh 72 to 58 loss to a seven seed in the first round written all over them. <laughs> um, no, I think I would take the over too, um, because I do think, like Brendan's right, like you've got Virginia as your sort of, you, if you're the ACC, you would hope Virginia at least gets to the Sweet 16 to salvage some pride in this season. Um, And Florida State is kind of a wild card where, you know, if they're operating at full strength, which, you know, they lost to Clemson on December 29th uh, at Clemson back when Clemson was like really good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The before times. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then uh, went on pause and then came back and Florida State rattled off five wins against NC State, Carolina, Louisville, Clemson and Miami. All of these, basically all of these, with the exception of the the Carolina win, were blowouts. and they looked really good. And I was working on a feature about Scotty Barnes at the time. And um, the sort of vibe in that program is really, really good in in terms of he's a five-star prospect who chose to go there so that he could play fewer minutes but play at point guard where he has sort of always seen his future. And the vibe was of a bunch of guys, even the you know guys like MJ Walker who have been there forever, just like, yeah, come on down, man. Let's do it. You know, like 
they have a really good um, overall vibe that makes me think that, look, they've got six games left now in the regular season, maybe a couple more still to add with their postponements. I'm not sure scheduling stuff. I just don't even worry about at this point. Um, but they can absolutely get it rolling. And I think um, this pause is sort of taking a little bit of wind out of their sails, but if they'd been playing steady over the last couple of weeks, coming off that five game winning streak, even after the loss to Georgia tech, if they'd been playing these last couple of weeks, I think they'd be in a position where you'd be going into tonight's game um, against Virginia thinking they're, they're just about equal with, with the Cavaliers and we just haven't seen them. So yeah, Virginia tech throw in there as well, but I think Florida state has a chance to be a real problem in the NCAA tournament provided this stop start stuff stops and they actually get to stay on the court for an extended period. You know, I went back to look, I'm like, Oh man, it must've been a long time ago. Last time the ACC had less than two teams in the sweet 16. It was 2017 uh, North Carolina on the way to the national championship. I didn't realize it was uh, that short of a time ago. This is sort of a sub question to that. Uh, What is wrong with the ACC this season? We don't have a bunch of top teams. Is it as simple as Duke and North Carolina aren't what they normally are, and therefore the perception of the league is not as good? Or is there something more to that? I mean, I think those two schools definitely carry a lot of weight. Um, you know, I think NC State has also, you know, bottomed out. Um, yeah, I just think that the what you're seeing from Duke and North Carolina, I think, is sort of emblematic from the Kansases and the Kentuckys, and obviously everyone has made this point, but... The, the thing that has really been driving, especially at Duke the last couple of seasons, is not landing just five-star talents, but landing like top five, top ten guys. You know, this is the first year in six or seven years that Duke hasn't landed a single top ten recruit. And for, for Duke, a team that is not having guys come back year after year, they don't have that base of juniors and seniors, um, their success was really predicated on landing those Scotty Barnes, the Zaire Williams, you know, those elite of the elite and for Duke, you know, this is just one school, obviously, but not having those guys, having still five-star talents, but the guys that are in the 15s and the 20s and, and down into the 30 range, those are still contributors, but those aren't guys that are, are the single-handedly going to be able to pull a team along as freshmen that are going to lead you to, you know, an ACC title. Th- those guys just aren't coming in mass to Duke anymore. Um, and I say that, of course, with Duke in line to have three top 10 recruits next season, of course. But, you know, at North Carolina and at Duke, you know, the, the pace has fallen off a little bit. You know, UNC's last championship group was uh, sort of founded on the, the trio of recruits and Joel Berry, Theo Pinson and Justin Jackson. Those three were all basically top 15 guys. And, and UNC hasn't had another class like that to restock the cupboard and to build on. So, um I think you're just seeing a greater dispersion of talent across college basketball more broadly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And the ACC, as one of the marquee conferences that has always attracted that talent, I think has seen a little bit of a dip there in terms of the, uh, you know, the elite, elite, elite guys that they're getting in. We all know that um, you, know, you can keep guys around and you can hope that Justin Champagny happens, but it's much easier to go out and get a Cade Cunningham. So I, I, I think that that's the biggest issue that you're seeing at Duke. Same thing in North Carolina to a similar extent. And and yeah, the perception of those two teams not being as good, it hurts the ACC overall. How about you, Eamon? Yeah. Is this a blip or is this something uh, bigger? No, yeah, I think it's it's primarily Duke and Carolina. Um, you know, if Duke was at its usual level, then you'd be looking at, even if Carolina was having the season they're currently having, um, you know, if Duke was at its usual level, then you'd be looking at uh, two potential top three seeds probably you know duke is usually in or even in their so not so so but even in their years where they aren't like dominant they're still you typically around like a two or a three seed you just simply don't see them fall fall 
much further beyond that. So it's a, it's a, an anomalous year. It's anomalous for everybody. Michigan state, a team that won at Duke. And I had like in the top five way back when, you know, when everyone thought Jalen Johnson was going to be like the next Zion. Um, Cause he scored 20 points against Coppin state or whatever. Um, like it's just, it's a bad year for them. And that, that drags down, you know, not having um, Syracuse, add a little bit more to this league doesn't help not having Notre Dame and Pitt um, be a little bit better. You know, I think when both of those teams are sort of what they were five years ago, then you've got an ACC that all of a sudden looks really, really tough, like one through 10. Um, And just being so, so in, in those areas doesn't help the overall sort of heft of the league, but most of the teams in the ACC are in the top 100 in Ken Palm. Only three of them aren't. It's just that there's a lot of mediocrity there and two or three like actually good basketball teams that you want to watch play basketball at any given time. Well, let's stick on Duke for this next one. Uh, Duke will finish at above or below 500 in the ACC this year to set you guys up for this. Duke is six and six in the conference right now. Games remaining at Wake Forest versus UVA versus Syracuse versus Louisville at Georgia Tech and at UNC. Uh, Brennan, since you're the Duke expert, I'll start with you on this one. I'm I'm going to ride entirely in line with what Ken Palm is projecting for the Blue Devils. I'm going to say that Duke finishes at 500 on the dot. You know, you, you're talking about six games left. Um, three of those are incredibly winnable in Wake Forest and Georgia Tech to me and, and even Syracuse. And then there's three that I don't think are so winnable, Virginia, Louisville, and North Carolina. Um, you know, if, if not for Matthew Hurt going absolutely, you know, Clay Thompson nuclear mode the last time that Duke played against Louisville, that would have been a, a, a beatdown. I mean, that would have been easily a 20-point loss. So, yeah, I, I just don't think that Duke has it all together. I will say this, um, Duke's defense against NC State, take it with a grain of salt, NC State, you know, has completely unraveled at the seams with Devin Daniels going down with an injury. Um, certainly is not the season Kevin Keats hoped for. DJ Funderburk's been a little bit weird. Manny Bates hasn't been quite as good as I think a lot of fa- NC State stand- fans would have expected him or hoped that he would be. Um, but yeah, so Duke's defense is turning around a little bit. I just don't think it's good enough to really contain some of those other teams. You know, you talk about Virginia, um, Huff and Hauser are going to be a nightmare. Uh, Mark Williams has been playing better for Duke, but he's still not a guy who can give you more than really 25 minutes a game. Again, the the size that North Carolina presented the last time was an issue, and that was a great game. UNC made a lot of threes, but um, I still think that North Carolina's size give Duke, gives Duke too many problems. And then I, I don't really trust Duke's backcourt to contain the Louisville backcourt. You know, I think Carlick Jones and David Johnson. David Johnson had a great game. Sort of his first coming out game at the college level was last season against Duke in Cameron, and he always seems to play decently well against the Blue Devils. Um, I, I just don't think that Duke has the... Like I like we've said, you know, I don't think that Duke has the horses really to, to go with the top teams in the league, and it's sort of weird to see. They're certainly getting better, but I pick five hundred for now. But but certainly, I could see an argument if you're optimistic about uh, you know that guy who's coaching them or whatever. I could see an argument for being a little more optimistic than that. Does he know what he's doing? You know, maybe maybe just a little bit. You know, he's got, a little bit. Get that guy out of here. What have you done for me lately? Right, he's, he's won a couple um, games. If, if, if Duke fans were Arsenal fans, they'd be calling for his firing right now. Um, oh, they are, Eamon. Oh, they are. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think they'll probably finish 500 as well. I, that's not a very hot take. But, like, look at how Carolina's offense looked against Duke and then watch the Virginia game again and notice the differences. Like, Carolina's offense looked like a flowing Carolina offense of yore against – 
Duke and against Virginia looked like they'd never seen a basketball before. And there's just a big gulf there between like highly competent defense and a bunch of guys flying around like, and one of them knows what to do and his Jordan Goldwire and everyone else is just like over closing out and getting unbalanced constantly. And it's a bit of a mess on the defensive end for Duke. I mean, they run people off the three point line really well. Um, no ACC team allows fewer threes as a, as a percentage of attempted field goals, but the threes they do allow go in because I think they over rotate and over help. And that sort of classic aggressive Duke man-to-man defense. If your guys aren't very good defenders, they get caught a lot. And it's just, it's been a huge downfall even in the Carolina game. I mean, um, you know, Notre Dame has not been very good either. And Duke gave up 89 points and 70 possessions to Notre Dame. I mean, I don't know. Like they're just not very Cor- good. Cor- Cormac the- Ryan looked like an NBA all-star against Duke's defense. So <laughs> I know it's, I, I know it's a weird season, but it's February 15th and Duke is just, is not very good at basketball. I think we can officially make the verdict. Yeah. Yes. It's officially the strangest season ever. If that's what we're saying definitively yeah, <laughs> this late exactly. in the season. But I mean, look, Kentucky's not good. Kansas is just okay by their standards. Like they're, way better than any of these Michigan other teams, state just got wiped Michigan, Michigan state lost by 30 to Iowa at, at in East Lansing. Um, you know, a lot of these programs are just not very good this year. And the stat about the top 13 winning as programs of all time, not being in the top 25 is off repeated these past couple of weeks, but it's totally insane. And so Duke is not alone, but, but you know, they're just very mediocre this year. All right. Next question. Which team in the bottom half of the ACC standings, do you not want to see in the ACC tournament if you're one of the top teams? And I'll give you uh, the teams that I'm considering here. Duke, Notre Dame, Pitt, NC State, Wake Forest, Miami, and Boston College. Any chance that one of those teams can get hot? Uh, Eamon, I'll start with you on this one. Did you include Georgia Tech in there? I did not. They were right in the middle, so I did not Mm. include them. Yeah, that might be one that if you're, you know, if you're just going by the actual – bottom half i guess they're tied at you know 500 in the league right now so maybe, maybe we can count, count we can count we can count we can do this exercise we'll put them in there but, i mean so yeah I'll georgia lie. tech i wouldn't want to I, I mean i kind of gave my answer away there <laughs> but georgia tech is a team i wouldn't want to play um you know that they've shown the capability of knocking off good teams and they're a bit of a problem on the offensive end i think notre dame if they get really hot like i just made a joke about them <laughs> you know and vis-a-vis uh duke's defense but Notre Dame is playing good offense. They're playing kind of sort of classic Mike Bray offense and absolutely no defense. And if they get really hot for three days, yeah, you probably don't want to play them. Um, and then Pitt, uh, because of the the Champagne effect, like you just, you know, that guy can absolutely score thirty and and get ten, you know, thirty and ten and five on you. And the next thing you know, you're headed home. So those would be my teams. Everybody else, the the NC States, Wakes, Miami's, and BC. I think you're probably feeling pretty confident. With all due respect, <laughs> yeah, I I was gonna go with Notre Dame. Just having seen uh, the way that Mike Bray has sort of kicked the offense into drive with this team. I mean, um, Prentice Hub loves him a good deep three. I mean, there's no there's no three that's too deep for Prentice Hub to shoot. Um, you know, Cormac Ryan looked great the other day, you know, uh, I, and, and I will say this too. I am a little bit biased towards Notre Dame because one of my former coworkers, Langston Wirtz at the Charlotte Observer, um, his son, Trey, who I got to see play in high school a couple of times, is now playing for Notre Dame, transferred there, uh, 
this season, sat out the first half of the year, is now playing, played great against Duke. I think he had like maybe six, five, and six. So um, I, I like seeing Trey do well. I like seeing them do well. But yeah, Notre Dame's offense, when it is when it is doing what it's supposed to do, um, doesn't matter that they give up 100 points because they'll score 105. So yeah, I think Notre Dame has the, if you catch Notre Dame on a hot shooting night, it could be a bad night for you. Um, you know, if I was going to pick one of the, the really bad teams, like I, I like that Miami plays hard. Um, but yeah, I, without their full complement of players, uh, it, it sort of is what it is there. <laughs> it's never it's never a good sign when you're like, well, they play. Right. Hard. <laughs> it's like that's kind of the bare minimum that you're looking for if you're a college basketball fan. I, um, I mean, Notre Dame, I didn't know this, actually, because I kind of disregarded them in the whole bubble watch thing. They're six and two in their last eight. Like, yeah, no, they've they've been playing you know, after better. starting three and eight. Like they're they're decent now. You know, that that could be a team at, at the ACT tournament where if they are on this pace where this is just kind of what they are now, like they're going to be more difficult than what their record and probably seed looks. Yeah, like. I think a lot of people were expecting um, Nate Lashevsky to, to sort of carry the load, but things have balanced out a little bit offensively. Like you're getting more from uh, Cormac Ryan and getting a little bit more from Prentice Hub, too. So. Um, yeah, you know, again, if I'm North Carolina, it's not a team I want to see because they're going to just hit threes in my mouth and I'm going to have to suck it up and, and, you know, jack up a bunch of books of my own. So yeah. And Mike Bray's a good coach too. You know, I know Brian Hamilton spooked him a little bit with, uh, with his, with his suggestion that maybe Notre Dame and Mike Bray should have the talk, but yeah, I, I like Notre Dame. And it seems like a while, a long time ago that Notre Dame was like making noise in the ACC tournament. It was a really tough out. Maybe that's just because my sense of time is completely warped <laughs> with this. No, pandemic. you're not wrong. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. It's it been, does seem it's like been a while. A, it's been a few years now, but you know they they had an extended run from what 07 to 2018 or 2017, where they were always in the tournament, always a single digit, almost always a single digit seed. Um, occasionally, you know, they were flirting with big East titles, like, and, and then ACC titles and they moved over, like they're good. It would, it was a really good program for an extended period of time at a place where historically it is difficult to win. And so you understand why, even if they end up going four seasons without going to the tournament, Notre Dame would be a little bit hesitant because that job is harder than Mike Bray has made it look for most of his tenure there. Well, we started, uh, this podcast talking about, uh, the ACC tournament last year, uh, at the bar there. Uh, I'll ask you about the ACC tournament this year uh, to get us out of this podcast here. Will a team miss the ACC tournament this year for some reason, either an opt-out or a COVID pause? Uh, do you think we'll have all 15 there uh, in some way or another? I don't think there's a chance that that happens. I don't think there's a chance that every single team is there. If I'm Virginia and I'm Tony Bennett, there's no way I'm going to Greensboro. Now, I, I understand that... Um, you know, there's still a lot to be sorted out about the ACC tournament, you know, and the NCAA has sort of come out and said that they're going to let conferences act at their own discretion as far as how they want to um, offer up their automatic qualifying bid. But I I don't see a way with all of the pauses that are currently underway in the ACC and all that we have seen so far to this point and and the news, you know, coming out this morning that Syracuse athletes have have also, you know, sort of pulled to North Carolina here and um, Syracuse's athletes were, were caught on camera, I guess, you know, having some sort of maskless celebration. I don't see a way that whether it be a team like Virginia or Florida state opting out or, or, you know, some sort of pause that hasn't yet happened. Maybe some of these pauses extend. Um, you know, I, I'm wondering what's going on with Clemson right now that this is going to happen for a second time. So I don't see a way that we get every single team. And, and, you know, I think that's sort of going to be the standard across 
across college basketball. I don't think that these conference tournaments are going to be nearly what they usually are. Um, I think that's okay. You know, I, I'm interested to see how it affects seeding. It's going to make Eamon's life absolutely hellish on Bubble Watch because he's going to have to try and figure out how many spots he's got to work with. But um, yeah, I, I think it's almost a guarantee that you will see one of these teams miss for one reason or another. Um, what were the Syracuse athletes celebrating? Was it the home win over Boston? <laughs> yeah, <College>? it was. <laughs> My God. Celebrating life. That's what they oh, were celebrating. That's another that's um, another game that I hope nobody watched. Uh was it was it living in Syracuse in February that they were celebrating? Like what what's what's the um no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh yeah, no, I think Brendan's right. I don't think they're gonna be everybody's gonna be there. I don't think Virginia would would be the team to not go. I just don't think and that's just not really how Tony Bennett rolls. Like he's never the, gonna be the kind of person to be like, oh well screw the ACC, like, they're telling us to come, but we're not going to. He's just not – that is not his temperament at all. If the ACC says, hey, we're having a tournament, they're going to do everything they can to show up. Um, there might be other programs who would be in a similar position in different years who would be a little bit more rebellious, but that's not their MO. I think um, that the point is valid, though, that if – all like, even if everyone intends to and no one, like, shuts down their season or whatever, there's going to be a team that just – has a positive uh, a week before the tournament and just ends up not being able to go. Like that's just gonna how be how it kind of goes, and that's okay. Like it's fine, what in- what know? incentive does Jim Christian have to come down to Greensboro? Yeah, that's that's more along the line. I think everyone will at least make a good faith effort to do it. You know, if 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 their team's fine and testing's fine and whatever, like I don't think anyone is just gonna say well, our season is shut down now. We're just done. Like we're really only, we've only seen a couple D one programs even do that. And they're like the Howards and the Chicago States and the mains of the world where it's just like, what are we even doing here? It almost cost them more money to keep the basketball season going than not. Like I do think every ACC program will make a good faith effort to be at the tournament. There will just be some one or two, or maybe more than that, that just won't be able to against their wishes uh, or if you want to put up air quotes against their wishes, depending on where their season is at right now. Well, personally, I want to see Boston College go to Greensboro with only four scholarship players and then pick up like six or seven from the Greensboro YMCA or something like that and try to put them into the lineup that I would watch that. That's that would give me a reason to watch Boston College basketball this year. Uh, Jim Christian would love that. Yeah, he'd be thrilled. He'd love for, some, he'd love for someone to be watching. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have that to look forward to. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we get all 15 there. I think I'm with you guys. I don't think it's going to get to that point just because somebody, I mean, we have two teams on a pause right now. Uh, yeah, it's going to happen uh, a month. When now. was the last time there wasn't at least one ACC team on a pause this season? I mean, it's pretty much been, it's been a constant, you know? Yeah. If you looked at the like linear bar graph or whatever, you know, it'd be, I don't think there'd be any time on the calendar where there wasn't one team at least. So, well, well yeah, I'm curious. It's, then, it's almost inevitable. I'm curious then from like looking at an NCAA perspective, what happens if that happens at the NCAA tournament? Does a team just have to vacate a spot? Do you, I mean, these are, I mean, we're going to have to face this reality in a month. I would imagine that you um, know, 68 teams, one team maybe can't go. What do you do in that situation? The NCAA hasn't actually come out and said, anything official on this the word is always we're figuring it out basically we're reviewing policies <laughs> we're talking to uh, the committee is deciding what to do i think what would probably happen is if you get to the tournament you have to test to come in i think they have to do seven you have to do seven days of positive tests um and then the idea will be that once you're there that you know 
the contact with the outside world is very limited to none and everybody will be tested all the time. Um, so it should theoretically hopefully be fine. But I think if a team does get there and sudden someone pops a positive test, they're just going to get replaced. Like it's just, you know, there's going to be a couple teams. I, th- I, I, this is a guess right now. Right. I think there will probably be a couple of bubble teams, three or four that will be told, Hey, just hang out. Like, cause if anything goes wrong in the first week or the week before the tournament starts, you guys are the next team up. You'll come in and fill like the 11 or 12 seed or whatever. And we'll go from there. And the team that had a positive test, will just have to suck it up and go home. Um, and that's just going to have to kind of be how it works, I think. Yeah, it'll be like army football during the the bowl season, where they're just kind of sitting around till a team had to drop out. They're like, "We'll go, we'll go play." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's going to be you know, it's going to be like, uh, um, what's a bad bubble team like Syracuse, Ole, Ole Miss, <laughs> yeah, or Syracuse or at Kentucky. You know, Calipari will have those guys waiting around. Like nobody move because <laughs> we got one chance at this. That's thing. if he can get them to stick on campus any longer than they're obligated to. <laughs> exactly exactly but yeah i I would guess that's how it's gonna work but again i don't know it's gonna be a sort of figure it out as you go probably i I watch this this is how duke is going to make the tournament just through that (laughs) 15 teams have to drop out and duke sneaks right in hey and then they'll get they'll get to the elite eight somehow i'll tell you what mike krzyzewski hasn't been this excited for an acc tournament in a long time yeah well, you know what? What would be perfect this year actually is is Syrac- if Syracuse did that. Like, didn't get in the tournament, but then was one of the standby teams. Someone gets a positive test. Syracuse comes in and then like get to the final. That ball. is a very Syracuse move. That's a very Syracuse it, absolute. Move. That's late period Jim Beheim like Syracuse to a T. Is like we're bad, but we got in the tournament and now we're like in the elite. And it would okay. it would take somebody like someone random is going to have to sort of just come out of nowhere like Malachi Richardson status. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that gives us something to look forward to in the next month. I don't wish anybody to get COVID, but that would kind of be an interesting scenario there. Uh, <laughs> guys, I appreciate it. Eamon, thanks for coming on the pod. This has been great. Uh, that's going to put the show in the books here. Uh, go follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at Andy Bitter VT. Brennan's at Brennan R. Marks. Uh, at Eamon Brennan. That's E-A-M-O-N-N. Brennan with an A uh, at the end of that. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic go subscribe right now uh you can go uh, get a great deal uh on our page for the podcast here at theathletic.com slash acc pod if you're not a subscriber you're listening on apple spotify stitcher wherever go rate and review us it helps us get the the word out uh guys this was great uh we'll have to do this again sometime we'll be back again next week to talk some more acc basketball